to the book of Ephesians, chapter number five, uh, and we're talking about God's plan for marriage. I told you uh, when I first started this chapter, all you all who are single, widowed, or divorced, don't go to sleep. Because you may want to get married again. <laughs> Somebody said I doubt it. But even if you don't want to get married again, maybe you're going to be like the Apostle Paul who says, I wish every man had this gift, uh, the gift of, 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 of singleness and celibacy. But if that's not you, or if that is you, I told you it's critically important for you to understand what's being taught here because the Bible is for everybody. And so there's going to be somebody who you're going to talk to who's going to need some good God-honoring advice as it relates to God's plan for marriage. And you need to be equipped with the word of God, not your feelings. Because your feelings are up, down, level to the ground, right? And sometimes you may tell them what's right, and then depending on how you feel, you may tell them, child, I'll just kick him out. All right, so so we want you to be we want you to be theologically, uh, uh, biblically in depth in understanding God's plan for marriage. Because you know I, 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 I've said it before. You know, a lot of times um, we don't study and learn about this all important relationship. And what ends up happening is we end up having a bunch of Christian marriages that are mediocre. You know, I looked that word up mediocre. And the word mediocre actually comes from two Latin words. Uh, one is media, which means in the middle of, and the word ochris, O-C-R-I-S, which means mountain, okay? So perhaps the picture is, is mediocre is a, is, is a mountain climber who's, who's climbing up the mountain, but rather than pushing his way to the summit, he, start, he decides to end his climb right in the middle of the journey. He never finishes. He gets lazy and complacent and settles for mediocrity. I am convinced that there are a lot of Christian marriages who have not reached the summit of what it means to have a God-honoring marriage that exemplifies God's plan for marriage, amen, that exemplifies God's plan for the church. And we settle for mediocrity. We settle for, well, just okay, just okay. Or even, some of us even settle for bad. It's going to just be this way. I just might as well just put up with it because economically it's cheaper to keep it. (laughs) And what I'm telling you When we truly begin to understand God's plan for marriage and begin to embrace that, it will revolutionize your 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 climb to the summit. Can I get a witness? The individual who quits pursuing in intimacy and just settle for a comfortable, blase, run of the mill marriage is not indicative of what God's design and plan for marriage is all about. Can I get a witness? So we're going to continue to unpack some of these things. Why? You say, Pastor, why is this such a huge deal? Well, first of all, it's in the Bible, and it's, and it's part of our study in the book of Ephesians. We're going through it, and we come to this fifth chapter. I can't skip over it. And by the way, here's a shameless plug again. We're going to pour into married couples in a mighty way, have some fun, have a, have a, a, a 70s, 80s dance and at our marriage retreat. Sign up for our annual marriage retreat. You don't want to miss it, okay? We're going to pour into couples. I'm going to go a little bit more detail than I can on Sunday morning. Amen. Sometimes on Sunday morning, Doris told me, Doris told me, I got to be a little gentle. All right? I'm going to tell you the things that need to be said, but, but I go a little bit deeper then. All right? So I want to encourage you to connect with us. Some of y'all hadn't been away in 50, 50 years. You know, one of the things I wish I could do with my parents, now they, they've been married, I, I don't know how long mom and dad have been married, but I, I, would, I would suffice to say that mom and dad have, ne- have never did a marriage getaway that I'm aware of. Dad, is that true? Oh, he, 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 he's not talking. Mom, is that true? <laughs> I don't mean to put my mom and dad on blast, but again, those are the type of things that never, you know, when they were coming up in, in, in ministry and even now, well, you know, I, my, my prayer is that, you know what I'm going to do? Here's what I'm going to do right now. Mom and dad, if y'all are willing to take it, if I can get y'all out of bed, <laughs> I'll pay for y'all to go somewhere for two or three days and just chill. I know you don't want to fly because mama, mama hadn't flown in her life. She said, I don't want to get on the plane. Even though my son's going to be flying, you don't have to get on the plane, but you can drive somewhere. So that, that's, Maria, hold me to that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow up on that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you all, I'm gonna, uh, all the expense payable. You can eat whatever you want to eat. Stay whatever you want to say. Ain't nothing wrong with Motel 6. Baby, don't, don't you go to Motel 6. I want some rich cartons and some Four Seasons. Come on, there, Gia. You know what I'm talking about. Some, some, yeah. 
Guys, we need to pour into this all-important relationship. Now, uh, uh, look with me, and I'm going to... I'm going to skip ahead, but I'm going to come back and unpack some the rest of this on next week. But I want to jump down to the fifth chapter. Let's go down to verse number uh, 31, verse number 31 of Ephesians chapter number five, because this, this, this relationship is critically important because God wants to use it to display the connection that Christ has to the church. See, the reason why you don't need to stop in the middle of your journey to the summit and, be, and settle there, and you can't get to the summit without knowledge, without information. A lot of marriages are bad because there's a lot of ignorance about what God's design and, and desire is for each person in that relationship in their roles. And because you don't know it, you, 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 take, you bring your mindset to the picture and your mindset to the table. And God is saying, I need you to start doing it my way. Everybody say God's way. Guys, the glory of God is at stake when it comes to marriages. Again, according to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, marriage is intended to serve as a living picture of the kind of intimate relationship God wants to have with his creation. Marriage is designed to be a tangible picture of the intimate relationship God desires to have with his creation. That means all of us in here, God desires to have an intimate relationship with you. The question I always ask couples is this. If, if, if people looked at you in your relationship, would they want to serve the God who created the heavens and earth? If, if, your, if your marriage, if your relationship was a model for them to judge how God connects with his church, would you want to be a part of the church? And the sad reality is, is that people would run like H-E-L-L away from the church if they saw how some of us do marriage. I'm going to say it again. I am not talking about how you look when you come up here in church. Because when you come here in church, you're looking, you're looking like, oh, y'all, y'all the, the, most, the most put together couple in all of creation. And it's hell at home. I'm here to tell you, you don't have to settle for mediocrity or bad. God has a plan to elevate your relationship. Amen. Can I get a goodness? He has a plan. So watch, watch this. As the scriptures say. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Y'all with me there? He says, this is a great, there it is, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. When a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves his wife and two become one flesh, it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Everybody say they are one. Now, uh, next, last verse says this. Uh, so again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Everybody say respect him. See, man, a man. It, listen, wife, if you will respect your husband, he'll run through a brick wall for you. It's interesting to me, and I've said it before, it's interesting that. That, that God tells the husband to love the wife like Christ loved the church, but he doesn't tell the wife to love. He tells the wife to respect or to reverence your husband. Some, some, I'm going to say this out there. I'm going to throw it out there parenthetically. I'm going to throw it out there. I'm going to jump off of it. I'm not going to even touch it. But some, some of you wives have, have neutered your husbands. <sighs> I didn't mean for that to come out just the way... But some, some, some wives, in, in their zeal to, to try to do things right, I'm not saying that you necessarily got the wrong mindset, but some wives have, 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 have cut their husband off at the past and because they failed to respect and honor him. Now, again, we got to do something to give you the respect, right? But the Bible says reverence him for his position as your husband. And husband, he tells us to love her like Christ loved the church. Now, watch this, watch this. I told you on, on, on last week that uh, there were four foundational truths about marriage that, that we see in Genesis. Number one, marriage was God's idea. Everybody say it was God's idea. God. Said not man's. It was God's idea. We also said God said it was not good for man to be alone. We said God created a helper that's suitable for him. And that term they use for helper is the same word they use for the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who's called alongside to help. And it's interesting that God says the wife is to be a helper for the husband, just like the Holy Spirit is for us to do this Christian life. 
And we said that God intended a man to leave his parents home and cling to his wife. Now, uh, it's a mystery. Now, Ephesians 5, and, and, and jump back there for me, Jay, 5, 31 and 32. Let's look at that right quick, okay? Are y'all still with me today? It's, it's, it's interesting that God wants to use our relationship. Every part and every aspect of our relationship, God wants to use to illustrate how he connects to his church. I want to I listen to this uh, story from this couple and, and see some of the challenges they went through and understand how God even used those challenges to bring the picture of how he connects to his church. Brother Jay, run that for me right quick and I'll be right back with you. Glory to God. If we got it. Thank you, Jesus. You can see God's hand in our story from day one. Donnie and I met when I was 10 years old and he was 13. There was never, ever a doubt in my mind that I was supposed to marry Donnie. We were married six years before we had our first daughter. And just, it seemed like our plan was working out perfectly. I just knew something was wrong. Without us even realizing what had happened, we were just growing apart. One night he was out and he had told me he was going to be with one of our mutual friends and he didn't come home and he didn't come home and I called this friend and he said, I'm out of town, I'm not with Donnie. And I just knew in that moment that everything I've been afraid of for so long, like was it was true. I found out that he was actually having an affair. He filed for divorce. It was just like my whole world was crashing down on me. I was just praying and praying, and God said to me, I will restore your marriage, and it will be for my glory. Just don't give up. And I felt him telling me, I love Donnie more than you do. And he needs to fall back in love with me even more than he needs to fall back in love with you. I realized in that moment that I've traded one of the most beautiful people inside and out for this life. And I don't know if I can get it back. And I remember just praying and I was like, God, you gotta, you gotta help me. You gotta just make this happen. And I immediately called her. I said, listen, I want want you to meet me right now. And she said, I'll meet you anywhere. I walked in the door, and here's this person sitting on a couch in front of me. And with tears in her eyes, she stood up the second I walked in. And I sat down. I just put my head in my hands. I started crying. She just wrapped me up, just like it was yesterday, showing me how much she loved me. God can fix this. I realized in that moment that she was able to still love me and God was able to still love me. I went through the most pain I've ever been through in my life, but I wouldn't trade that for anything because now I'm seeing what God told me was gonna happen. You're gonna use this and it's gonna help people and I'm gonna give you a marriage even stronger than what you had before. And. He always led me to the verse about a new creation. You're going to be a new creation, and that's what we are. And we're able to tell people that and meet with people and and just show people through our lives. Even the people we don't talk to, they know about us. And they see us out in our community holding hands. They see us happy, and they hopefully will think if they can make it through that, we can make it through this. We're trying to live our lives in a way that says we're so imperfect. We're such a mess, but because of the grace of God, we are here, we are together, and we are one. And it makes all of that worth it. It makes everything that we went through worth it. So much good has come from it. My children are changed. My daughter believes in miracles because her daddy came home, and that's what she prayed for every night. All right. Listen. What the devil meant for bad, God turned it around for good. And when I, was, when I, when I, when I, I saw that, and that, there were several other videos that I saw with, with the very same scenario, but it was the woman who cheated, who, because of the disconnection 
in the marriage and not being where it needs to be, she stepped out. But each one of those testimonies that I saw, God brought it back together. Now, that's not the, you know, God, listen, God wants us to do it the right way all the time. But the reality is in the church, you have people who've been through some stuff. Let me say it again. In the church, you have couples who've been through some stuff. But I want to tell you, just because you've been through some stuff, just because it's a hard time, don't mean that God can reconcile and restore your relationship and you can still show how he connects a man with his church because he forgives us. You forgave that person. I'm telling you, God wants to utilize us. Now, let's look at, if you will, I left off. Go, Go to John the fourth chapter, I believe it is, St. John, the gospel according to St. John, the fourth chapter. Talking about somebody messed up. Let's go to this fourth chapter of the gospel according to St. John. And uh, we'll, um, let's let's start reading uh, at at verse number one, the gospel according to St. John, verse number one. Because see, some of y'all are out there right now thinking that, pastor, you just don't know, I've, I've, I've done this, I've messed up too bad. God can't use me. And let me tell you something. As long as there is breath in your body and as long as you're willing to repent and turn away from sin, God can use you mightily to show forth his glory. God can use you to, to, to show a picture of his, his unfailing love, his unconditional love toward us. I said all the time, no matter how far you've fallen from God, he's always calling you back to himself. He wants to bring you back into his presence. And and let me tell you something right now. You may be in secret sin right now, far away from God, but God will do whatever it takes to bring you back close to him. Even if it means allowing the cover to be pulled off your junk. So that you can repent and turn back to him. He loves you just that much. Are y'all with me today? Now now watch this. Look look, look at the gospel according to St. John. And we'll start our reading at verse number one. Let's read. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to where? Galilee. Let's read on. He had to go through where? Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his, and his animals enjoy? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring with them, giving them eternal Life. Everybody say eternal life. Eternal life. Glory to God. Hey guys, let's, let's unpack some things here right quick. And I, I want to, hopefully you can uh, stand with me as I go through here and share some things with you. Uh, everything, let me just, I, I, I'll make a few comments about this passage and we'll dig into it a little bit further. Everything Jesus said to the Samaritan woman was designed to fix the core problem. Let me say core problem. To fix the core problem that was causing her frustrations and failures in marriage and relationships. Look, 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 look back with me again. Look at verse 15 right quick. Verse 15 says, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. 
and I won't have to come here to do what? To get water. Keep reading. Jesus said what? I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. Watch this. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now listen to me. Watch this. Jesus comes into this this conversation with this lady, and he begins to talk to her about herself. I told you, he's coming to address the core problem that this woman had. See, many times we try to address issues, but we don't get to the root of the problem. Are y'all with me today? A lot of us deal with the, the fruit and not the root. So Jesus, in his interaction with us and with this woman at the well, is seeking to get to the root of the problem. Everybody say the root. He wants to get to the root of the problem because uh, literally this woman was thirsty. Everybody say thirsty. Now, again, there's a street term that people use uh, that's called a woman may be what? Have you ever been thirsty before, ladies? Thirsty is a slang term. Listen to me carefully. That is often used to describe someone who is actively seeking attention or affection from others, particularly in a romantic or a sexual context. It can be used as a way to describe someone who is flirting aggressively or who is constantly seeking validation from others. And it is often used in a derogatory way to criticize someone for being too eager or desperate. Let me stop right here. Let me pause for one parenthetical moment to say every woman in here and every man on here don't need to be thirsty. When you know who you are in Christ Jesus, you don't have to be desperate for a man or desperate for a woman. Any ex-thirsty folks in the house? Let me tell you something. A lot of times we, and it's not just in a, thirsty in a sexual context, but it's, it can be thirsty for the affection and the approval of others. When you begin to understand who you are in Christ Jesus, and when you begin to understand how God made you, how he creates you, and how he loves you, you don't need another person to validate you. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, stop being thirsty. It happens in the church too. People are pushing for titles and positions and want to be in front. And if I'm not, if I don't have a title, if I don't have a position, I'm not in front, then I feel like I'm not being used. One of the things that this mission trip taught me uh, was, uh, was that God can use you uh, in, in, in some of the most obscure and mundane ways. I was, we was talking to the pastor that we, that we, we, we shared with there. And he said, he said something, he says, he said, out of our four years here, you're the first senior pastor that's ever come on a mission trip with their group. And he said that says a lot. And we were, we were just doing stuff like going to the park, handing out. I, I even cooked some hot dogs. Remember, get them pictures. I need you to, I need you to. <laughs> Richard Harrell and I were in the, in the park smoking some dogs on the grill and we sold out. We didn't sell them. We gave them all away. So my, I got my street cred now, Yvonne, with my cooking. Now, I, I, cooked grand, I, I cooked granny breakfast, and I, and I roasted hot dogs in the park, and they all were gone. So I think I can cook now. <laughs> but picking up trash, going to the subway, handing out coffee, just doing things that, that there's no spotlight. Nobody came from the news station and shined a lot of us. We just want to serve people and show them the love of God. And when we get that way in the church where it's not about us, it's not about our title, not about who's in front, it's about serving God through serving people. God will do some great things in your life. So, 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 so again, Jesus, Jesus was, was talking to this woman. And by the way, it, it, was, it was some of the miracle that he was even talking to her. Y- y'all saw what she said, right? Can I get a witness? She said the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have, in verse number nine of that fourth chapter, Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Now, Jesus' ministry to this woman was healing her of the deep rejection and the wounds in her life that were keeping her from healthy relationships. 
I'm going to say this and please don't take this. This is not shooting at any individual in here. But if you've been married five times, it ain't all the other people. If you've been married five times, it ain't everybody else. There is something in you that needs to be healed. And Jesus is now speaking to this woman's issue. Sometimes, let me take a little bit further. If you can't keep a job and you've been employed in seven different jobs in two years, it ain't all the other people on the job. Every time I talk to you, well, you know, them folks ain't right. Seven jobs in the span of one to two years? Come on, now I understand we move around for promotion, but, but you ain't you, you still at the same level. Seven jobs in two years, it ain't all the other people. You gotta start looking at yourself and see what's the core problem, what's inside of me that needs to be healed. Everything Jesus said to the Samaritan woman relates to every relationship and marriage on earth. What he said to her reveals God's eternal design for relationships on every level. Hear me carefully. As well as he's he's, he's exposing the most important issue that determines success or failure in relationships and in marriage. Now again, think about this for a second. Jesus, if you go back to that third chapter, you see where uh, the Pharisees tried to come and Starts a mess, really. When I say starts a mess, they, they began to try to compare Jesus' number of baptisms to the number of baptisms that John the Baptist had done. And so Jesus saw this coming, so he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to move from here because I don't want... It's my time for doing what I got to do. It's, I'm, I'm on a prophetic time clock. I'm, I, I got a journey that I'm, fo- that I'm following, and I'm going to do it in God's timing. My, my timing to do what God wants me to do is going to be in the timing that God gave. And I've learned how to trust God's timing for the things in my life. Sometimes I think God ought to move when, 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 when I want him to move. Uh, but he may not come when I want him. But I've always discovered he's always on time. Can I get a witness? So, so the, the, the Pharisees was trying to incite some competition between Jesus and John the Baptist. Don't ever get into a competitive uh, 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 foray with others in ministry. How many times he preached? How many times did she teach? How many times they do that? Guys, that is irrelevant. We're called to serve God in the capacity in which the door of our gifting opens up for us. Are y'all listening to me today? So Jesus left Judea and started north of Galilee. He could have taken one of three possible routes. He could have went along the coast. He could have went across the Jordan River and up through Perea. Or he could have went straight through Samaria. Now, Orthodox Jews avoided Samaria like, like the plague because there was a long-standing, deep-seated hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a mixed race. I've told you this before. Part Jew and part Gentile. They grew out of the Assyrian captivity of the ten northern tribes of Israel. So, in other words, these Assyrians who had captured these Israelites, these Jews, took them into captivity, and as they took them back to Assyria, they, they brought Assyrians into their land to occupy, to keep peace there. Well, you know what's going to happen when you mingle together, they start dating together, and then they intermingle in marriage. So now you have Jew and Gentile in one body. There's, there's some analogy here, guys. See, there's, there's, there's some analogy with, with the Samaritan people group as it relates to how the church is coming together as one. God, the mystery of God is that, 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 that through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, he would bring Jew and Gentile together into one body. That's the body of Christ. So, so but, but, but there was still deep-seated hatred amongst the Jews toward the Samaritans. So this woman was surprised that this rabbi was first of all talking to her. This woman was a a Samaritan, a member of the hated mixed race. She was known to be living in sin, and now she was in a public place communicating with the greatest teacher that ever walked the face of this earth. She could understand why Jesus would want to have anything to do with her. Let me tell you something. I don't care how bad you are, what you've done. Jesus wants something to do with you. 
He desires to have a relationship with you. He says, come to me and I will, I will make you whole. Amen. Come to me and begin to follow after me and I will transform your life. Don't try to fix yourself. Come to Jesus and allow his Holy Spirit to do its perfecting work in your life. Are y'all still tracking with me? So, so, so you had hatred there between them. Now, the setting here is at a well in Samaria. The conversation begins as Jesus asks her for a drink of water. Again, no respectable Jewish man would talk to a, one, a woman of her, of her reputation or any really, uh, especially as a Samaritan, in public like this. But Jesus did. That's one thing I like. Sometimes in, in our churches, we don't want to minister to certain people. But Jesus does. We don't want to fool it. We don't want to help certain people. But Jesus does. Nothing that we do disqualifies us from the love of God. He is pursuing after us with all, with everything within him. You see, the gospel is for every person. Everybody say every person. No matter what his or her ethnicity, social position, or their past sins are, God wants a relationship with you. And he's using the marriage relationship to picture his love for us. That's why we got to not stop at the middle of the climb, but let's keep trying to go to the summit. How many of y'all out there, let me see your hand, how many of y'all want to climb to the summit of marital bliss? How many of y'all want to, how many of y'all want a relationship that's so in tune that it, it exemplifies how Christ loves the church. How many of y'all want that kind of relationship? How many of y'all know it takes work to do that? It doesn't happen just by standing in the same house. As you saw in that, uh, the video I showed and there's others that, was, that, that, that I was looking at those testimonies, what happens over a period of time, a lot of people, that we just settle. We get used to doing things in a routine, come home, uh, you'll go to work, come home, go to the grocery store. Do, we get into a routine and we forget to cherish and to pursue one another and to cultivate our marital relationship so they can exemplify Christ's relationship to the church. And I want to tell you something. God says it's time out for a stopping. Get out of neutral and let's start moving forward. Let's learn some things. Let's do it God's way. Stop talking about what you want. And say, what does God want? Oh, y'all listen to me today. So, so we got to be prepared. Jesus interfaced with this woman. We must be prepared to share this gospel at any time, any place, just like Jesus did. Jesus crossed all barriers. He crossed all social norms to share the gospel. And those of us who follow him must be prepared to do the exact same thing. Look at verse 7 through 10 again with me in John, the fourth chapter. Verse 7 through 10. Let's read it again. St. John, the fourth chapter, verses 7 through 10. Ready? Let's read. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, what? Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus encounters the woman and offers her eternal life and personal fulfillment by way of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 13 through 14 with you right quick. 13 through 14. Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring with them, giving them what? Eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Now watch this. Watch this. Jesus here reveals the fact that true satisfaction and fulfillment in life are only, everybody say only, are only possible on a spiritual level. True, true satisfaction and fulfillment in life are only possible on a spiritual level. The natural world can't truly satisfy us or fill the inner emptiness within us. I don't care if you are a billionaire. There are more miserable billionaires and millionaires than it is poor people. Money won't make you happy. Or let me put it this way. Money won't fulfill you. Now, it's nice to have. We all, we all need it to live. 
But if you think that that next big job and that next big promotion is going to fulfill you, it will not. There is a hole in every human heart that can only be filled appropriately by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Are y'all with me today? So Jesus promises true and lasting satisfaction to her if she would turn to him. Talking about God for fulfillment. So three important truths are revealed. Look at your notes. Three important truths are revealed here. Number one, the compassion of of Jesus is revealed to those who are struggling or who have failed in marriage. The compassion of Jesus is revealed here to those who are struggling or who have failed in marriage. On this Christian journey, sometimes we do struggle. Sometimes we do struggle in our relationship with Christ or relationship with fellow church members. And sometimes on this journey, we are, we're suffering in uh, and we're struggling in our marital relationship. The one is supposed to show how Christ connects to the church. Some of us are struggling. But here's what I've observed. Every person that I'm aware of, we've been doing marriage fellowships for, uh, we, we, we used to do them monthly, then quarterly. Uh, and then we, you know, we do an annual retreat. Everybody that, that I know of that came, engaged, and went back and did is still together. Everybody that came and ignored it, what was taught, didn't put into practice, they struggling or even not together anymore. See, don't, wait, don't waste your time or the counselor's time going to them and seeking advice when you ain't going to do nothing they say. As a matter of fact, I would appreciate you not wasting my time if you're not going to do what I show you in the word to do. I love you, but some of y'all are time wasters because you ain't going to do nothing I say. Because it's all about you. Did I make you mad? I'm just telling you the truth. Next time you book a appointment, I'm going to say, okay, all right. Now, first of all, I want to know, are you going to do this stuff? Well, you know, you know, it depends. On, no, it don't depend on her and it don't depend on him. Are you going to do what the revealed word of God says for you to do? Because the truth of the matter is you can't control nobody but yourself. Everybody that's came and learned and applied are still together. Those that didn't, who did something different, they're either struggling or they're not even together anymore. I know it works. Been married to this woman for 37 years. Has it all been gravy? Absolutely not. Have we had our struggles? You bet your bottom dollar we've had our struggles. But the beauty of it now is, is we're in that sweet season. Oh. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Been married 37 years, and when I see her coming, I'm like, hmm. Girl, you so fine, I'm going to write you a ticket. Oh, that's, that's a little old school. There. Jerry, that's a little old school, Jerry. Listen to me, guys. I want you to, and some of y'all can testify to this fact. Some of y'all have been through the, the ring. Some of y'all have had some terrible time. Some of y'all have been maybe like this couple in the, in the video, but you allowed God to come in and heal it. And now your, your marriage is much better than what it was before the thing happened, before the tragedy took place. I'm going to tell you that God does not give up on you. Don't you give up on God. But you've got to be willing to do this stuff. So the compassion of Jesus to those who are struggling or failed in marriage is revealed. Jesus personally sought out this Samaritan woman. He didn't send an armor bearer to see who she was and what she was doing there at the well this time. Because really, they usually drew water in the morning time and in the evening time. But I believe this woman came at noontime to avoid the crowd. Because everybody in town knew she'd been married five times. Everybody in town knew she was shacking. Do y'all know what shacking is? Cohabitating, yeah. Cohabitating, uh, uh, living together with no commitment. I, listen, you, you got to help me to understand this. I've heard, I've, I've counseled couples, and I've even had, I've, I've even had Christian couples in the church who, who, who we got together and we began to talk, and they said, Pastor, we, we know that we're living in sin, and we gotta, we got to do something about this. And they went on and got married. Tell me, what's the difference between you stand together, sharing everything, money, bills, 
rags, roof over your head, everything you share and eat the same food. How come you can't get married and be in the will of God? Well, we want to wait till we get things right. All it is is how much it costs, $75 license. You're doing everything. Don't tell me you stand together and y'all just sleeping in separate beds. I'm too old a cat <laughs> to be fooled by a kitten. Don't you tell me that. Well, we just, you know, we just, yeah, we just, ah, yeah. uh, no, no, no. Well, uh, let me back up. Let me, let me say this. Let me say this. I ain't that good. Can I put it back on me? I am not that good. For me to be staying with Mareri and Nikitris Kirk Adams and, 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 and sleeping in the same house in the same bed and then me not touch her, ah, uh, I ain't putting that kind of pressure on myself, Kenny. And Kenny, you were in the same house with Sherry and y'all wasn't married. I... So let me ask you the question. You're sharing everything. Why not? Well, we, 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 we're trying to save up for the big one. Forget that. Get in the will of God. I, I can't tell you the number of couples who I married in that office and they had a wedding a year later because they wanted to get in the will of God. This woman been married five times and now she's shacking. Everybody say shacking. All right. So, so Jesus' compassion. Why is Jesus' compassion revealed? Because it's his nature. It's within him. He can't help but being compassionate. That's in his very nature. He knows the real reason for our failures. I told you before, ignorance causes a lot of problems in marriage. But people don't know. Many husbands don't know how to really love a wife like Christ loved the church. If you want to find out, go and see what Christ did for the church. He died to himself for the church. He gave his life for the church. And I want this one right here to feel like I would die for it. I would. I'll die to self. I'll die to self and go eat at a restaurant she wants to eat at. I don't want to go to after she told me to pick where to go. And as soon as I pick where to go, I don't want to go there. Am I the only brother in the house? I died to self when she told me she didn't want anything. So I ordered my food, Carlos, and, and she ate up half of it when she told me she didn't want anything. I died to self. Number two, number two, marriage was created by God and is only successful when it honors his plan and includes his presence. Marriage was created by God and is only successful when it honors his plan and includes his presence. So you got to invite God in to your relationship. If, you, if you're not, see, every step that you make ought to be a principled, biblically honoring, biblically driven step. I need to be able to say, I'm doing this because God said this. Not because I just felt like it. Yeah, feeling, all of us got feelings, but I want to be a man of principle. Because my feelings will change. Sometimes I may not feel like doing it, but because I'm a man of principle, I will go and do it. Because I want to love it like Christ of the church. Marriage is created by God and is only successful when it honors his plan and his presence. Number three, the most important issue in marriage is a personal relationship with God through Christ Jesus. Why? Why is that, Pastor? Well, only Jesus can meet our deepest needs. What are our deepest needs? Everybody has these needs. These four needs. Number one, we have a need for acceptance. I don't care who you are, you want to be accepted. I'm not saying you go do whatever it takes to make people like you. This is not about people liking you. All of us have a need for acceptance. In other words, I, we want to know that I'm loved and I'm accepted for who I really am. All of us have that need. Have you ever tried to be somebody who you were not in order to fit into a place you wanted to be? That is the most miserable existence you'll ever find yourself in. Acceptance, all of us have a need of acceptance. So I need to know, all of us need to know that we're loved and we're accepted for who we really are. Number two, everybody has a, a, a need uh, for identity. Identity is our deep, deep need. I am special. We know that I'm special, I'm unique, and I'm significant. And the reality is all of us in here are special. We are unique and we are significant because we are God's children. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
God loves you from the crown of your head to the sole of your feet. I don't care what they said about you. I don't care what your family, your in-law said. God loves you and you are unique and you are special. And you need to know that. Because here's what some people do. They, they, start, they start looking uh, to, to, for, for acceptance. They start looking for uh, identity in people. And that's why, I, he, listen, make no mistake about it. God loves you. Number, number three, security. All of us have a need to know that we're safe and we're secure from harm. Go, oh, gosh, dog. I, I, I want to unpack these scriptures, uh, but I, I can't unpack them all. But let's, let's just go, go back to, to identity right quick and go to Psalms 139. Psalms 139. And, and the fourth thing is we need, all of us, uh, need purpose. I have a significant purpose in life. There's an important reason for my life that has eternal consequences. I am here for a reason. God birthed me into the earth realm and he still has me here on this earth because he still has purpose for my life. Are y'all with me? Psalms 139. Let's go to Psalms 139. Thank you, Jesus. Now watch this, watch this. And I, I got to close on this one, okay? Uh, I, I will pick back up on next week. Will y'all let me do that? <laughs> watch this, watch this. Start in verse one, we right quick. Because some of y'all don't know who you are. I am clear about who I am and what God has assigned me to do. There is no greater feeling than to know that you're in the will of God for your life. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God loves you. Stop listening to these naysayers and these doubters and all these folks who don't even really know you. When you begin to know that you're accepted, that you know who you are in Christ, that you have secured him, that you have purpose, then I believe that, that, that you can put counselors out of business. I'm not saying there's not room for counselors, especially we need some Christian counselors who do clinical counseling, but I, I am convinced that a lot of people needing counseling because they're not in their word. Now, I'm not talking about the person who has a chemical imbalance or something that's medically induced that, 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 that causes the, that schizophrenia and that type of thing. I'm talking about somebody who just, I just don't feel like I'm needed. It's because you don't know who you are in Christ. I'm convinced that the, that the need for that kind of counseling can be minimized if you understand who you are in Christ. If you stop trying to get people to fill the hole or the void that only Jesus can fill. Can we go? Let's read. Oh, Lord. Can we read out loud on purpose? Let's read it out loud. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. Next verse. Let's go. You know when I sit down. Or stand up, you know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. Let's keep going. Travel, and when I rest at home, that's scary, isn't it? Go back and read that. You know, you know, wait a minute, God, you talk about that little thing thing that Brother Edward Thomas did back 40 years ago, that, that little, you, you talking about that, 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 that thing that Deborah did? Two years ago, you, th- you think about that thing that Carl did, that thing that, that, that uh, uh, Effie did, that thing that Alia did 25 years ago. You know that? Yeah, he know it. And he still loves you. He still loves you because God's love, agape love, is not predicated on how good you are. It's predicated on how good he is. And he loves you in spite of your mess. And all of us, if we're honest about it, got some mess in us. <laughs> that needs to come out. Can I keep reading? Verse 4 says this, watch this. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand the blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Verse 7, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are already there. Come on. If I go down to the grave, what? You are already there, right? Come on, can I get a witness? Keep reading. If I ride the wings in the morning, if I dwell by the what? Farthest oceans, 
Even there, your hand will do what? Guide me and your strength will do what? Support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I can't hide from you. That thing you do in the dark, come on. God already looking at you. The cover of darkness cannot hide you from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who saved you, delivered you. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light, they're the same to you. God see you when you're trying to hide that thing. God knows that thought you have right now. He knows that thought you have when you saw him, when you saw her. Everybody say you can't hide from God. But even the darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the, del- the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is what? Marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. That's why we don't need to be aborting no babies, right? You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me? Oh, look at what it says. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. Let's make it personal. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. They cannot be what? They cannot be numbered. Keep reading. He says what? I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Oh, God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life. You murders. You bless. You blaspheme. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh, Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who despise you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred for your enemies are my enemies. Search me, oh, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out everything in me that does what? Offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Sound like God knows us. Now I want to read that whole thing because we need to understand that God loves us. And he wants to use the marriage relationship to personify that love, to be a tangible, visible picture of his love for the church. God accepts us. God gives us identity. God gives us security. And God certainly gives us purpose. And I got to stop here. But I ain't finished. So next week, you better come back. Because we're going to unpack some more of this. We don't want to stop in the middle of the mountain. We're going to the summit. We don't want mediocre and average and bad any longer. We want some marriages that are, that, that, that are pushing toward the mountaintop. And I'm going to tell you, just like on that video... I don't care where you are right now. Marrera and I are a living testimony of what God can do. We wouldn't be here today had not God restored our marriage. So, stop being embarrassed. Stop hiding. Come and get the deliverance that you need.